Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the gap. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you are a 26-year-old. Now, some of you are like, that's great. I remember those days. 26-year-old Jewish man or woman living 550 B.C., 500 years before Jesus comes. Your nation has been at the top. King David took it to the top. You've been ruling. And then Solomon comes behind him, and you build this glorious temple, and this temple is the center point of your worship. How you orient yourself to God, how you have fellowship with God. Your nation is strong. And then Solomon builds this temple, and then the Solomon's son, you start to slip. And the next son, you start to slip. And over a handful of years, your country begins to grow into turmoil. Until one day, a king called Nebuchadnezzar comes and surrounds your land and takes you captive. First, second Kings will say it like this. When Jehoiakim, the king, was 18 years old, he became king. He reigned three months in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He rebels against God. So God allows, at that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. That means surrounded by an army. Can you imagine that? Looking outside the walls of Jerusalem and seeing a huge army surrounding you. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon. He surrendered himself and his mother and his servants and his officials at his palace. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried him off with all of the treasures of the temple. This beautiful temple that has been the high point of your worship to God. He takes down all the gold, carries off the treasure to Babylon, carries away 10,000 captives. Your countrymen, you, your family, gone. You're now refugees, captives in Babylon. Your city was besieged for a year and a half. Wrap your mind around this. That means nothing comes in, nothing goes out. A year and a half. Siege warfare back in these days is a war of attrition. Here's what you do. You starve out your enemy. If you want to read about it, the book of Lamentation has five poems about the destruction of Jerusalem. The king hands over his crown to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar kills a bunch of people, kills the high priest, kills a bunch of the, the 
the, the servants that work in the palace. The next king that will come in Judah is like a little puppet king. He rebels again. Get this. This is what happens in these days. When the next king of Judah rebels, he gets his entire family arrested. Nebuchadnezzar makes him watch his entire family get executed, and the Nebuchadnezzar gouges out his eyes. So the last thing he will see is his family being executed. That's the time period we're talking about here. And that's the history of what's going on in Psalm 126. See, here's what Psalm 126 does. It invites a contemporary reader, you, to open your Bible now in 2020 and read through the lens of an oppressed people. My invitation of you this morning is to allow yourself this first part of this passage to read it through the lens of an oppressed people. Because that is how Psalm 126 is written. It's one generation telling another generation the oppression that was experienced. For us, it's an invitation that we might experience the struggle and the rescue of another generation that we might realize our own. Can you imagine losing everything? Everything. It's gone. Now, if the, if the 26-year-old 500 B.C. Israelite man or woman doesn't, doesn't, you can't connect there. Let me give you another one. You're a 26-year-old black man or woman growing up in America, and you were born into slavery. You have known nothing but chains. You work every day. And all you get is food and a roof over your head. You're born into slavery, and you will die in slavery. Can you allow your mind to go there, what that would be like? To have children knowing the environment, the world that they're going to be brought in and live in. Can you imagine losing everything, losing your freedom? If that narrative doesn't do it, let me give you another one. You're a 26-year-old Jewish man or woman in Poland. And all of a sudden this regime called the Nazis start to raise up. And you are forced away from your village where you've lived your entire life. You've grown up there with your children and your family. You're forced to move into a ghetto in an inner city. Over the next year or two, your freedoms start to be taken away one by one by one until one day soldiers show up in your community they drag you out of your home, they put your children on one chain, train, your wife on another, and you on another, and you're gone. This psalm invites you into those narratives. Let me give you one more. You're a 26-year-old black man in the 1960s, you're driving home from work one day, and you see some lights, some rollers up ahead of you, they pull you over. They accuse you of murder you did not commit. They arrest you. They give you a faulty trial. Judge says you will be executed. You're on death row, and you didn't do it. Can you imagine that? That's the invitation of Psalm 126. Can you imagine losing everything? Can you imagine being powerless? Nebuchadnezzar's goddess. I'm in a concentration camp. I'm in slavery where I can't break out. I'm behind a jail cell and I can do nothing. I'm innocent and I can do nothing about it. Can you imagine being powerless? 
Can you imagine the fear that you would wake up in every single morning not knowing what would happen? Having freedom taken away. Guys, we've got a small, here we go. We've got a small drop of losing freedom. I can't go to my brewery, it's shut down. And how bitter was one little drop? See, Psalms, the writer here, invites you into a different narrative. To, to get outside our own for a minute and begin to realize the rescue of another generation. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, Zion's Jerusalem, He's restored us. We were like those who dream. Can you imagine? This is too good to be true. He, I've been in captivity for 70-something years. I'm going back? Whoa, whoa. I've been pardoned? And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Our story has spread to the nations where other people are saying, wow, look what the Lord has done on their behalf. The Lord has done great things for us. We're glad. There's laughter. There's dancing. There's celebration. There's feasting. You're liberated. You're free. The Lord has done great things. This is personal. Can you imagine? You've been gone from Jerusalem for for years and years and years, and the walk home from Babylon to Jerusalem, and then you're coming over the hill, the Mount of Olives, and there's the city. All you've known is chains and slavery. And one day, it's announced that slavery has ended, your chains are removed, and you begin to walk down the road away from that plantation, and you hear the gravel crunching under your, underneath your feet, and you're, you're asking yourself, is this, is this too good to be true? Is someone going to come get me? And you walk outside the gates, and you know freedom for the first time. It's a concentration camp when one day all the guards a Dachau leave, and you're like, what's going on? All, the, all these German guards left, and the next day you see in the horizon some American and British troops walking your way, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's this oh, rescued. We're free. It's the front gates opening of the jail where you've been innocently put on death row and to walk outside that gate and see your mom come embrace you. That's what Psalm 1 through 3, verse 26, chapter 26, invites you into. And then you wake up, and you're still in the jail cell. It was just a daydream. You wake up, and you're still in the concentration camp with a crusty piece of bread. You wake up from your daydream to a whip crack. Get back to work! It was just a dream. See, Psalm 126 is a psalm written about deliverance from oppression and bondage that hasn't happened yet. See, this psalm was written while Israel's in captivity in Babylon. 
they haven't been freed yet. It's a song about deliverance, a prayer about deliverance, a realizing of deliverance that hasn't happened yet. It invites you into the hope that things have changed, but then the sudden realization that they haven't. Anyone seen, anyone seen Just Mercy over the past month? It was free. Raise your hand. It was free for, for many weeks. You need to go watch it if you haven't yet. There's a powerful scene. Just Mercy is kind of the narrative I'm telling you about death row. The, a, a young black man was, was proven guilty, was innocent of a crime, put on death row, and it tells his story of getting out. One of the most powerful moments in that film for me, so I'm watching that film, there's this moment where this lawyer's fighting for him, and he thinks he's going to be released. Like the, the person that testified against him that lied says he will, he will tell the truth. And so this young guy get, come, you know, comes to the courtroom expecting that day to go free, and then this witness lies again. And the moment he, the, the next scene, you see him going back into his prison cell, and he gets to the edge of the prison, and right before he walks in, right, right at the edge of his cell, he just puts up his hands like, and refuses to go in. And, and like, I remember watching that, and like my body was just like, like I felt the bondage of walking back into that jail cell after hoping I was out. And that's what the first three verses of Psalms invites you to here, 126. It's realizing it's not there yet. Verse 4, it leads them to a prayer. Here's the prayer. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. That word fortunes, it's our livelihood. You've woken up from your dream. You thought you were released, and the prayer is, God, restore us. Take us back. Give me out. Liberate us. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like the streams of Negev, the streams of Negev, these are small desert streams that are dry, but when the rainy season comes, they quickly fill up and they flood and bring life to the desert. That's the streams of Negev. Here's the metaphor. God, we believe, Yahweh, sovereign God, that you can make it rain and change this situation like that. God, restore our fortunes. Bring us out. Rescue me. Deliver me. And now, as Psalms often does, it starts with the complaint. It starts with the frustration. It starts with the harsh reality. There's an invitation to begin to trust God. And now there's a, okay, now what do I do with this? Look at verse 4, or verse 5. God, restore our fortunes. We're not there yet. Here we go. But. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, having his seed with him, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, his harvest, with him. So the psalmist switches to a metaphor. The first part is, is this, this realization that deliverance has come to realize, no, it actually hasn't. This prayer in verse 4, God, deliver us, restore our fortunes, to then this invitation in verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap 
with shouts of joy. The metaphor is a, a planter, a sower. And sowing in tears is the idea that though I am in oppression, there is work that has to be done. And I've got to go out and I've got to do my, I've got to sow, I've got to plant. And I'm going to have to bring my tears with me. It's this mindset. I've got my seed. I've got my work to be done. My hands have tremors because of the stress I'm under. My back has the lashes of the whip, the scars, to show it. And there is work to be done, but the fields won't wait on me to stop crying. I've got to bring my tears with me as I do my work. The crops won't wait till I feel like working. The crops won't wait until I feel, no, bring my tears, my feelings with me and do the work I'm called to do. Anyone grow up in an agriculture community? Anyone combines? Har- I, I go hunting, and Brad and I have been northwest Missouri, and, and we go up in the fall during harvest time, and it's amazing. You can come up over those hills, and you'll see at night all these little lights out in the middle of these fields, and it's combines, and these farmers are working 20 hours a day combining, harvesting their grain. Why? The fields aren't going to wait for them to feel like working. They can't say, well, I'm going to work a good four-hour day. I'm kind of tired. No. you got a window to harvest. You better get it harvested. This metaphor, you've got a window to plant your seed here. It's, it's summer. It's, it's late spring, early summer. It's time to plant. The, the land won't wait for me to feel like planting. I'm going to have to bring my tears with me as I plant. There is work that needs to be done. It's planting the seed and wiping your tears because of your situation you're in. It's taking another step. It's planting the seed. God, deliver us. God, I'm tired of this whip. God, I'm innocent. It's bring your tears with you as you sow your seed, whether you feel like it or not. Because there's some other options. See, one option is I stuff my tears. And I'm in this midst of this oppression that we've talked about, one of any of these narratives, and I just like, I, I stuff it in. I'm fine. Sticks and stones. I'm fine. I got this. Doesn't bother me. Stuff all of our tears. The problem is eventually pain will come out. And it's probably going to come out in towards other people. Like trauma that's not processed is passed on to others. And so the problem with stuffing tears is all I'm doing is, is ensuring that one day I will explode and I will take my rage and my fury and my, and my anger out on someone else. It's not stuff your tears, it's sow your seed in tears, processing, working as I'm grieving. So it's not stuffing your tears, here's what it's not, 
It's also not just bleh, dumping out everything. Take your bag of seed and just, I don't feel like this, and just throw it out and pile. Because you, you waste it. Maybe one thing grows. No, it is be dedicated, grieve, cry out to God, believe he's going to rescue, but work has to be done. Not dumping your tears, exploding, raging, wallowing in misery. Losing your temper and going off on the person that's hurting you. It's not dumping your tears. It's sowing your tears. It's processing while moving forward. Brad talked about it last week. It's being in touch with my emotions, but not driven by my emotions. Sowing in tears. It's mud on my face, cracked hands, bruised, bleeding knuckles, faithfully doing what God has called me to do, sowing in tears. And that's where the psalmist invites the children of Israel as they're in captivity in Babylon. And they haven't realized their rescue yet. Now it's going to come, maybe not for some of them. Some of them may die in captivity. But it's going to come. This is a, a psalm that invites us to what's going to happen. But an invitation to those that are in to keep working. Sow your tears. It's even interesting how the Bible and other places will speak to some of these groups. So in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, who's in Jerusalem, to the refugees in Babylon from this psalm. And here's what, you guys have heard this. We talked about this for our church. Here's what Jeremiah says to them. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. That's Babylon. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So here's what Jeremiah tells them, so in tears. Seek the welfare of Babylon. Can you imagine being told that? Whoa, 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 Jeremiah. You're telling me God has called me to work so hard here that the country that's occupying me actually prospers? Yes. Why? Because you will prosper too. And it's going to lead to you being set free and sent back. So in tears. To the institution that was slavery in the United States for hundreds of years, an awful evil where men and women were treated as not human. I wonder if Ephesians chapter 6 ever came to their lips of sowing in tears. Bond servants, slaves. Can you imagine hearing these words? Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. What? God, what? With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but as bond servants for Christ. He's going to switch it here. Doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will is to the Lord and not to man. I'm back. Re rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. 
So the scriptures speak to a slave. By the way, don't think slavery's ended. There's sex slaves in Springfield, Missouri right now. Slavery is still going on. He speaks to the slave. You're in bondage. You're in captivity. So in tears. Listen, you ain't doing your work for that master. Uh Uh-uh. Do your work as to the Lord. See, change your focus. You you can't necessarily change your circumstances. We're going to fight. We're going to pray hard. We're going to ask the Lord to do something. You, You have no power to change it, but you do have power to redirect where you're doing your work, and it's not for that servant. It's to the Lord. So in tears. Can you imagine having to push down the rage that you would feel? Parents, can you imagine watching your child get their first whipping as a slave? And having to press down the anger and rage that you must feel. Because you know if you rage out, it's just going to get worse. So in tears. To a death row inmate who's innocent, sitting on death row, knowing he's innocent, I wonder if the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, falsely on my account, for rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, so in tears. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep doing good. Keep loving. Keep praying. Keep focusing on what God can do. So in tears. See, the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, you got to know this. The Bible does not lie about the brokenness of this world. Now, we can say all things work to the good of those who in Christ Jesus put that on a coffee cup, and that's great, but the Bible doesn't lie about the reality of brokenness in this world. It doesn't lie, and it invites us to believe that God is working in the midst of my tears. Not just in the midst. God is working through my tears. Get this, that as I plant the seed in tears, that my tears water that seed. And then as I'm planting, there is life that's going to grow, and it's actually through my tears that God is going to do his work. My tears will water the seed. Psalm 126, it's a prayer of hope. Verse 6, that those who sow their tears will come home with shouts of joy, bringing sheaves with him, bringing the harvest with him. This is the promise, that those who sow their seed in tears will bring a harvest with them. It is a prayer of hope. That although rescue has not been realized yet, I will be rescued in this life or to come, and I'm going to sow my tears because I believe there will be a harvest that will come from it. That's what God, word God gives to oppressed people in Psalm 126. Now here you are, 2020. You open your Bible and you read Psalm 126. Listen, it's not written to you. It's not God's love letter to you. It's written to a group of people, 500 B.C. Now, is it for you? Yes. Is it benefit you? Of course. 
But it's God's letter, it's God's word to them, and that as contemporary readers, we're invited into that story to realize the rescue and the faithfulness of God from previous generations, the faithfulness of believers before us, to then look at our circumstances and say, okay, if that was true for them, that's true for me. Because the reality is, we all know some sort of bondage. We all know some sort of injustice. We all know some sort of being powerless, some sort of addiction, some sort of despair. Do do we know this? Okay, two of us know some of these things. The rest of you are Jesus, right? We all know this. We all know some sort of this narrative. And it's an invitation that in the midst of this bondage that I may find myself in, To cry out to God, God, restore my fortunes. Restore me, deliver me. And I'm going to sow in tears. I'm going to do the hard work. It's for you and I on the backside of Jesus realizing that the fight has already been fought, the victory's already been won, yet there's still a fight, there's still a struggle. It's, It's the already but not yet. And the invitation is so in tears that I would process my past, my failures, my story, my childhood, my emotions, and not stuff them down. Oh, I'm fine. You shoot me down, I won't fall. I'm titanium, baby. Nor to dump them out, raging, fighting, fighting for truth. Not that I'd dump them out, but I would sow in tears. I would do the work of processing, of fighting as I'm moving forward. It, it's the person that says, I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to work through that stuff. I'm not going to sit back and pretend I'm not affected. Nope, I'm good. No, I'm going to go and I'm going to work through it. It's going to be tough. There's going to be tears that come. But I believe that is seed that God will start working in my life. It's the person, many of you that are dealing now in that stage of life with aging parents. And the struggle that that can be. And it's the faithfulness to go back and say, no, I'll go check on mom. I'm tired. Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go check on mom. It's sowing in tears. It's the young couple that gets out of med school and they got a bunch of debt and they got to start paying it down and they're working. And boy, it is sowing tears, believing that God will work in the midst of it. See, the invitation of Psalm 126 is that in the midst of our junk, we cry out to God for deliverance, and then we sow, we work, we pray, we fast, we join the group, we bring our real self. Not the, oh yeah, I struggle with pride, yeah. No, we bring our real self, 
We go to the places we don't want to go. We press into those places. We bring other people into our vulnerable, vulnerable moments. We come with full integrity. It's, it's joining that. It's stepping into healing with tears, knowing that every seed that I plant here that comes with my tears, God is going to grow into a harvest. Sowing in tears, it's a metaphor for marriage, at least my marriage. Let me, like young couples, you got to hear this. Marriage is sowing in tears. It is believing that if I keep fighting, if I keep working to serve my spouse, if I keep pressing in on that and not just give up when I feel like it, if I keep sowing in tears, that God is going to bring a harvest. This is the story of Emily and I's marriage, sowing in tears. Hard conversations. Forgiveness. Owning my own problems. Not blaming on her. Saying, okay, honey, let's, let's try this again. That didn't go well. Let's try this again. It's sowing in tears. If that doesn't define your marriage, there may be some trouble. M marriage is sowing in tears. Psalm 126 says, believing that my work, my tears, will bring a harvest. That he who goes out weeping bearing seeds for showing shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his harvest with him. It's to know darkness, to know death, to know pain, to be in touch with it, yet cling to hope. And cling to faith that God's working. See, our tears are meant to be transformative. They're meant to do something in me. Sowing in tears is to let my tears, my pain, transform me. I love Brad's story last week, if you were here, of him talking about how he wasted his college years. Any, anyone here for that? Wasted his college years? Listen, he could sit back and be like, oh, I wasted my college years. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm an idiot. Stuff it. Or, oh, I wasted, I wasted. Wallow. Or he can grieve that and then get to work helping the next generation. So for 13 years... Brad and I have been serving together, trying to reach and equip the next generation. That's sowing in tears. That's making your mistakes, having your story that you're processing as you do, do the work God has called you to do. Because your, hear me, your tears, your pain, your hardships, your story, it's part of the calling to which God has called you to make known his death and resurrection. Did you get that? Your tears, your pain, your struggles are part of the calling. Your calling will come from those. I promise. Show me what you're passionate about. I will find that in your story. It's your calling, your tears, it's going to come from this, and it's believing then that as I keep doing the work, as I serve others and look outside of myself, God is going to bring a harvest. He's going to take what was broken and bring something that's abundant. That's what sowing in tears looks like. This psalm points us forward to a beautiful homecoming when we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. Whether that is in this life that we're delivered or in the age to come, you will be delivered in Christ. Paul in Philippians says it like this. 
I know, he's in prison, he's in chains. I know through the prayers of the saints that this, my chains, will turn out for my deliverance. That's it. That's him sowing in tears. I believe that my chains, that I will be delivered. Now he goes on, whether in death or in life, I'm not sure, but I will be delivered. That's sowing in tears. It's the faith that God is working in the midst of brokenness. And that he might say, well done. So this psalm, you know who it's ultimately the story of? Jesus. Read Psalm 126. It's the story of Jesus who would bring hope into the world, but he had to know suffering. See, Jesus knew, verses 1 through 3, he knew, verse 4, oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? And he knew, sowing in tears, God forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. It's sowing in tears. See, Jesus came as a representative, a substitute. And he's going to walk the path that he asked believers all through history to walk. He's not going to come and live in a palace free from suffering. He's going to know the suffering that you and I have been through and the generations before us. Yet he's going to be faithful, and it's through his pain and tears his substitutionary atonement that he will bring life to all. It's a plot twist. It's a plot twist. Whoa, whoa, the God that's going to come and rescue us is going to go through the same suffering that you are so that you have a good high priest that knows what suffering is like. See, the psalm is about Jesus. Jesus went into exile, just like Israel, so that you might go home. Jesus took on chains, slavery, so that you might go free. Jesus' body was broken that yours might be redeemed. Jesus went to death row so that you might be released. Free Barabbas. Jesus took your sin and gave you his righteousness Jesus sowed tears so that you might have joy. You get it? See, Psalm 126 is the story of Jesus, and he invites you into it. That you might realize your rescue, that the battle has already been won. Even though at times I feel the war, the already but not yet, I will keep pressing forward. I will sow in tears. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. Therefore, believers, Hill City Church, since you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, the saints before. You've read their stories. You've felt their stories. But since you're surrounded by them, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Sow your tears. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, Jesus, for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured opposition from sinners, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Believers, keep sowing in tears. 
believing that God has the victory. This psalm teaches us not to ignore our pain, shove it down, not to just cast it out, but to process it and allow that pain, those tears to transform us and grow hope that makes us look forward to the coming kingdom when Jesus makes all things new. This psalm helps us say, you turn mourning to dancing, you turn shame to glory, and you turn graves into garden. It's a prayer of hope. Let's stand and sing this together.